Hello, 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 and welcome everyone to the next encounter lesson. We're really glad that you could join us today. If you are viewing us for the first time and joining us for the first time, and even if you're not, please like and subscribe to this YouTube channel. It helps us get information out to you. Look down below, click the little bell, make sure you're notified of new content as soon as it comes available. And I am one of your lovely co-hosts. I am Reverend Rebecca Zardi. I am the Director of Ministry with Women for the Ministry Council for the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. You got it. Ding, ding. <laughs> and I am joined by my lovely co-host who's actually on vacation, uh, but is taking some, oh, so cute. I love it. Taking some time out of his uh, beach opportunities to hang out with us this week. Thanks for, thanks for doing that, Chris. How are you today? Um, sunscreen only goes so far when you're bald, <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta bring out the big guns. So floppy hat. It was, a, it was a cute bucket hat. I like yes, it. It is reversible too. So I can do Oh, that. Hey, so double for your money. Love Most it. important thing is no, no, can't mess up that beautiful head. No, you cannot. So I'm Chris Fleming. I'm the director of adult ministry for the Cumberland Presbyterian church. And, um, glad you're with us. Like I said, we've had all kinds of fun. Every time we go visit different presbyteries or churches, we always get somebody that um, has benefited from uh, yeah. the encounter and the encounter video. So thank y'all for being being good like that. So absolutely. All right. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So today, Chris is our writer for this week, and we're going to be in Philippians chapter one, verses one through 18. Before we get into our lesson today, let us have our prayer for illumination. God, it is so hard to see the truth of your promises because we see all the wrong in the world. Send your Holy Spirit to illuminate our hearts and minds that we may see past our current circumstances. Teach us by your word that we can find joy in being your servants and being used to bring you glory. Amen. Amen. Um, and this week, memory verse, memory verse is Philippians 1.6. It says, I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's a good one. It is a good one. I have to Absolutely. remind myself with that verse on occasion. Mm-hmm. I can understand why. Yeah. Because there is, there's a lot of rough stuff in the world and it's good that we have that confidence in the one who began the good work. A lot of rough stuff in my life. Me. That's yeah. You've had a really rough week. Well, I honestly, I think we both had kind of a rough week, but that's okay because God's with us and we're going to get through it. Amen. Amen. So our introduction, where were you heading off with this interesting story? about Philippians. So yeah, Philippians is a cool, I mean, it kind of, it's set apart from the rest of Paul's writings. I write in here, it's, it's the only letter that Paul's not writing, you know, as a pastor to say, what are y'all doing? Like, right? Like there's no, sure. there's no real theological thing. I mean, you get theologically, you get some theology, but it's really just an occasion of Paul being thankful and joyful that uh, he has had part of the Philippian church like in the founding and just the people and, and, and it really is, it's called the, you know, the epistle of joy. A lot of times I think joy is mentioned more in the book of Philippians than I think like everywhere in the Bible combined, right? Something like that. Awesome. The case there, But, but it is, it's, um, and then the other thing is the most, I think the most theological 
uh, part of the book is that uh, this idea of servant or slave, Lord, you know, these this dynamic that we have with Christ. But in a weird way, um, Paul connects joy with service, right? Yeah. Not weird, I don't guess, but um, but we'll get into that a little bit. Yeah. It's not something we often think about, that joy and servitude. Yeah. that's interesting um yeah and and it's the way he does it uh like uh the elizabeth elizabeth elliott poem mm-hmm. um I'll, I'll just read it because i think it's really good it's lord break or prayer i guess i should say more so than anything lord break the chains that hold me to myself free me to be your happy slave that is to be the happy foot washer of anyone today who needs his foot washed his supper cooked his faults overlooked his work commended, his failure forgiven, his griefs consoled, or his button sewed on. Let me not imagine that my love for you is very great if I'm unwilling to do for a human being something very small. Um, mm. And so that, wow. that for, like, we could take exception, I'm sure, if we wanted to, uh, about a term called happy slave. But um, um, so in my world religions class, the, the word religion actually means bondage it's a return to bondage um and i often uh compare it with marriage um if you're not happy in your marriage it can seem like a ball and chain if you're happy in your marriage you're bonded to the thing that makes you whole and so it just depends on your perspective on things right so if you're bound to that which makes you whole and happy then it's the best slavery you can be in in that sense but if it's something that's oppressive and then it's terrible, right? Then it becomes the ball and chain. Yeah. Yeah, get that. I get that. And I love love in this poem, some of the, she picks out some of the big things, but then she picks out some very, very small things. Practical things. You know, like sewing on a button or having someone's faults overlooked. We That's big things, but very small things. And how important is it that we are compassionate and caring for our fellow man it's and, slavery and if things. you don't want to do it but it's joy if it's if you see it as a ministry if you do. of god yeah yeah one of the things i thought of when you read that was something that i did years ago started years ago for my own family and it was more so because we didn't have the money to do it um so it was a help for the family but I started cutting everybody's hair in my family. Like I took them once to the hairstylist and figured out how they did it. And then I just cut everybody's hair after that, you know, and, and my husband um, still gets haircuts from me and my son recently, thank you, (laughs) allowed his wife to cut his hair. So that was the first time, otherwise they've been married for four years and he still comes to me for haircuts. Um, you know, and so now I'm, I'm passing that torch on to someone Barb, else, Becky. but yeah, but it's the small things, you know, mm-hmm. that you don't think are, are significant, but with that, I can remember instances in high school, my son was in high school, some of the kids that he hung around with come from really broken homes and very poor families, and there was one young man that I remember, his, he was like the oldest of five kids, I think, single dad, um, and no way could he afford to send them to a barber. And so he would come to me and say, Miss Becky, do you mind if you cut my hair? And I'm like, no, absolutely not. 
And to him, it was so huge because he got his hair cut. To me, it was just a small act of service, but the joy that that brought for him and his dad, even who came and said, you know, how much do I owe you? And I'm like, nothing, you know, I, I did this because he needed it and asked me to, there's, there's no charge to it. And he's like, I just can't thank you enough, you know? And it was just for me, something small, but for them, something huge and how important that is when we're caring for our fellow human beings. It's important. Yeah. Yes, and we'll get into it a little bit more as the lesson goes yeah. on. How we? Yeah. So let's talk about the historical and contextual setting. So we're here. Um, Paul was evangelizing Derby and Lystra, and then he met Timothy, and then mm -hmm. they wanted to go. You know, they wanted to go to Asia, but this, something interesting really happened here that I think we often overlook in Scripture, and I really love that you brought this out that they were guided by the spirit of Christ. They were stopped from preaching in Asia. And instead um, they weren't allowed to go to Bithynia, but they were being called to Macedonia. So let's start there with that conversation. So a couple of weeks ago, we had our lesson on Acts 16 with flipping jailer and the slave girl. And this is kind of, these run parallel, I guess would be the term. Um, so you kind of got the start of it in Acts 16. That's how they get over to Philippi. And then you read about some of the, imprisoning that happens you know the imprisonment and, but it that's that's the time in which they meet Lydia too uh and so that's that's what's going on there uh I think it is kind of interesting in this sense this is one of the only times in scripture to where like I I saw I have seen the uh the spirit intervening when somebody like in my life I try to think about what does God want me to do? If I have two good things in mind, I just pick one, hoping and praying, you know, because the Lord answers things. But in this, I mean, like they were wanting to preach the gospel, but God intervened and said, "Yeah, that's good, but not there. You're going to go this way." And so, so I do think it opens up in my mind the fact that being led by God, you know, is maybe more than just trying to do good all the time, because maybe God has a certain intention. Luckily for Paul and Timothy, it was like a vision, bam, in your head. It wasn't just a feeling or a leading or whatever else. And so that made it a little bit better. Sure. Um, but anyway, that's kind of where we're picking it up. Act 16 and this uh, kind of go hand in hand. So if you want to review Act 16, it might be a good thing to do and then read through okay. this. And so they end up in Macedonia and they meet this amazing woman, Lydia. Yeah. I do love the story of Lydia. And, and she becomes the first documented convert in Europe. She's in Macedonia. And, and it was her and her whole household, I believe, were saved. But not yes. correct. Yeah. Um, and remember in Acts 16, I think we mentioned, it's, I cannot remember the exact text, but like they went down to the river because in, in Philippi, you didn't have an established synagogue. Right? Yeah. You didn't have enough Jewish men to start the synagogue. So um, that shows you that it, it was a, you know, Lydia was, well, she was maybe a little abnormal in the first place because she seemed to be in charge of, of her. <laughs> we'll say that she wasn't taking orders from any man. It didn't look like, I mean, she, she mm -hmm. had a spiritual vitality. It, it did. Um, the text said that she was a worshiper of God. It doesn't, it doesn't say anything other than that. We don't know what that means necessarily, but sure. it could be that she has heard something of the Jewish, um, Jewish prophets or mm -hmm. she was, that usually when scripture uses a worshiper of God, it's either someone who's um, been exposed to the Jewish teachings and has some um, 
casual commitment at least, or someone who um, who just wants to do right is on a search for truth. Is kind of how we sure. understand. Sure. So she was down on the beach, kind of kind of like you today, down yeah. on the beach. Will be. <laughs> and and worshiping God at sunrise, and this is where she was encountered by Paul and Timothy. Yeah. So in your mind, think around 50 to 52 AD. I've got that in there. Okay. Um, so that's still pretty early on in the in the church function. If we're looking at, you know, Christ possibly died somewhere around 30, 33 AD. So we're looking at about 20 years past Christ's death that the church is still really being established and just getting going and getting growing and stuff. So we're still pretty early in the church. Yeah. And so this becomes obviously she's the first convert and first documented convert. We don't know for sure, but we can at least point to this and say, and then the Philippian church becomes a very strong church. We don't have attendance records or anything like that, but we do see how the Philippian church responded when Paul was in need, when the Jerusalem church was in need. They took up a very serious stance of being part of the universal church. Like the Philippians, uh, I've mentioned it in here, they're the ones that received an offering and it was sent to Jerusalem for the for the church. It's when Paul was in prison, you know, we're in house arrest, whatever you want to call it here, here in Philippians, uh, they sent uh, they sent a missionary, or, you know, I'm going to miss the term, but we'll talk about it later, but uh, Epaphroditus to Paul with, with an offering to, to comfort him and so on and so forth. So they were really, uh, they were a strong church, right? So that, that's yeah. pretty good. Absolutely. And so they became a powerful church in, in the region, in Europe, and sent out missionaries and your, your reflection question that you have you say how often do you think about our missionaries and their work in the Cumberland Presbyterian Church that's a good question so what what about you how often do you think about how our missionaries work so I can I can say for me I'm, I've never been I, maybe this is a confession or maybe it's just who I am I just I haven't ever really been too focused on the on the global mission of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church when I was in the pastorate and I think it's a sign of, I don't want to say sign of desperation, but a lot of us in the Cumberland Presbyterian Church are trying to figure out how to keep our doors open. And sure. so a lot of our mind is focused on church revitalization, and we don't necessarily focus on on the broader mission of the church, right? I mean, it, hopefully your church gives to OUO, and you're at least being faithful in that sense. But, um, I mean, I've worked to try to get missionaries to be able to visit some churches in Covenant Presbyterian other places. And I can say some of our church, many of our churches, not, I don't think it's because they mean to. What does, you know, Columbia have to do with, sure. you know, our neighborhood and us right. staying alive. Right. And so I hope maybe we, maybe we can start thinking more of a, when the tide rises, all boats are lifted type thing, you know, yeah. and maybe we can, we can, concern ourselves with a broader church like the Philippian church did, right? Like, and, and maybe we flourish because they flourish and vice right. versa. Right. So. I, I would, I would agree with that statement. I think, um, before I came into this position, thinking about missionaries, you know, it was kind of like the once a year kind of thing when we did the push for the stop Wallace and that sort of stuff. But as, as I've come to understand 
and work with our missionaries and, and work with Lynn Thomas who oversees our global missions for the denomination. I've really come to understand how important that is yeah. um, and how important these people are and some of the things that they're facing that we can't even fathom. Um, uh, I will just say during prayer time this morning, there is prayer asked for, especially for our Colombian churches, because there's, um, we don't get a whole lot of news or election in the United States. They've actually extradited one of the, the big drug kingpins okay. to the United States. And so now there is um, some more rioting and uproar going on in Colombia. Uh, one of our uh, pastor couples actually had to leave their home because their lives were threatened um, and, and that sort of thing. So um, there's a lot going on um, that we just don't realize, uh, you know, even a couple years ago when the Hong Kong riots were really heavy in the news um, and, and how much that affected our churches and our missionaries and um, our, our brothers and sisters in Christ um, in Hong Kong, you know, and, and so that's really kind of opened my eyes, I think, to be more aware um, that, yeah, I know we're struggling here, but our brothers and sisters are struggling in places and spaces that we don't, can't even think about struggling in, um, you know, and, and how much they need us in prayer and, and lifting them up just as much as we need them in our prayers. Yeah. So both. Um, you know, if all things, if all the demographics go the way they are currently going, I think the global church will be larger than our domestic church. Uh, yes. Within like 2035, even, I mean, like 15 years. So it, it may well be in the future that they're supporting us more than we are supporting them. Uh, but that being said, uh, maybe that second discussion question, I'll just say, has your church ever given to the Stop Walls Fund? Have you ever hosted one of our missionaries at your church or your home? Is it, is it important to support our missionary work? Why or why not? I don't want to get into it, but I will at least uplift and say, you know, that's one of the reasons why we give to OUO as churches. Like it goes to the Stop Walls Fund. It goes to help our missionaries. And so like, you know, maybe your church isn't big on missions, international missions, just this particular moment, but just being faithful and giving to OUO helps, helps out there too, right? So just a thought, if you, if you haven't given to OUO, it might be a good reason to do so, even just for that. Very good. Well, let's, let's dive in a little bit deeper. Dig a little deeper. About, yeah, let's dig a little deeper into this section. What you got for us here? Um, again, I've said before that this letter doesn't necessarily address a specific problem. It's not necessarily theological based, but Paul's a preacher. What else do you do? Right. Right. Um, but it does have a lot of theology and it might be one of the best and least offensive theologies, but it could be taken as offensive, I guess. But I think what Paul does is helps us redefine, like in our day and age, we have a aversion to like master slave talk, like just to begin with, because of obvious things, right? Like the last right. three years of, you know, our nation, we have a racial conflict and we have a past in which we had an oppressor class and an oppressive class, but it wasn't any worse back then. Like Romans had slaves and were treated terrible and different areas had, you know, oppressive systems. And again, that's not an excuse. What I'm saying is, is that the reason Paul uses those vocabulary words is because it's not as far-fetched in understanding what he was trying to say. If you think about the most terrible, terrible history that we have in our nation, when we talk about slave master kind of thing, that was around back then. 
And so Paul then is intentionally using this slave and Lord vocabulary to describe his relationship with Jesus Christ, right? Mm-hmm. So that being said, it it helps us then, and maybe it doesn't help us, maybe it frustrates us to understand exactly what Paul is trying to call himself as a slave of Christ, mm-hmm. what he's trying to teach the Philippians and through the Philippians through us. Like Paul was beaten lots of times, thrown in prison yeah. lots of times. He receives a vision that says, don't do that, do this. And then Paul acts on it as a slave would act if the master came down and said, this is what you must do, right? So um, I think what I'll bring up the online, there's a site called Helps Word Studies, um, which is pretty good. If you haven't ever used it, type it in there. But their definition of doulos, which is how Paul, like in the other letters, Paul will say an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ or, you know, whatever. In this, he specifically uses the term instead of saying apostle, he says, I'm a, I'm a doulos, I'm a slave of Christ. And so on the bottom of page 79, this uh, helps word study site translates properly someone who belongs to another a bond slave without any ownership rights of their own ironically doulos is used with the highest dignity in the new testament namely of believers who willingly live under christ's authority as his devoted followers mm-hmm. like i that's a good that's a good word picture yeah uh, and it's absolutely and it's hard for us i i agree i think it's really hard for us to think about what does that mean when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior? What does that mean for us as individuals? How do we become slaves to the master? And if you don't like that because, vocabulary, go ahead. Because all of our, all of our connotation with those words is negative. Everything is negative. When we think about slave-master relationship, yeah, and it should what be. we're bringing up is, is negative imagery. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. But how do we then look at this relationship with Jesus as a slave-master relationship? Again, yeah, again, I think it's where you come from. Again, like if you're in a bad marriage, marriage isn't a great idea. Being bonded to something you don't like is not a good idea. But if, I mean, if you're in a good marriage, being bonded to the, again, the one who completes you makes you whole, you wouldn't be you if you didn't have that person. Sure. Right? So like it depends. But the other thing, if you don't like the master-slave image, fine, you can ixnay that, but still the same concept of pick up your cross and follow me is the same. Either way, you're dying to yourself. Like you no longer have control of who you are. So you can use different phrases, but it all comes down to the fact that you are no longer your own. Your body doesn't belong to you. It was purchased with a price. Your soul has been redeemed by Christ. It doesn't belong to you. You're literally, here would be the trick. And it's a big trick. You're purposely by choice giving up you to the master that's Mm -hmm. the difference in master slave relationships and throughout human history all right you're not being stolen from the caribbean and brought over or you're not getting colonized by the you know britons and your land taken over right like so there's a difference there it's it is a voluntary giving up but the consequences are the same you're dying to self you're giving up self to pick up yeah cross or you're picking up following christ yeah there's that yeah. But it's still like, I think we've used the word picture before too. You know, when Paul says, you know, you're a living sacrifice. And again, the image of Abraham putting Isaac ready to sacrifice him. This is what it means. Yeah. Like, so if the master slave thing doesn't work for you, 
understand. The image is bad. Mm-hmm. Picking up your cross and falling, that's a bad image too. It's bloody, it's nasty, and you die. But it it gets to the root of what Paul's trying to get to in this book of Philippians. Yeah. Um, so that's that. Uh, in the mm-hmm. other part of here, uh, Paul also introduced, I think this is the first time kind of outside of the gospels that uh, you would you would hear the the day of Jesus Christ or the day of the Lord. Um, yeah. And again, it just depends on which side you're on, right? Because in the Old Testament, um, you would you would hear this the day of judgment or the day of the Lord, and it could be good or bad. I mean, sure. if you were in a good place, it was a day of salvation. If you were in a bad place, it was a day of judgment. Yeah, and, uh, and I think I probably think probably the same applies today. Um, absolutely. You know, you ask in the discussion question when you think of the day of Christ, does it bring joy or apprehension? And I think, again, it depends on your possession. You know, if you are solidly aligned with Christ and are secure in your salvation, then hopefully it brings you joy that that Christ is coming to reclaim his bride and take us home. But if you're not, maybe it does bring you some apprehension. I'm not sure. Well, yes. And then that's how it is. I mean, like, you know, you've, you've thought, well, they're going to meet their maker. Use that phrase, right? Especially if somebody's done bad, they're going to meet their maker, and the the implication is that it's going to be a day of judgment, and ultimately justice will win out, right? But when we as Christians say judgment day or or whatnot, we don't fear it because our theology tells us in Christ, judgment day will be a day in which we're redeemed completely, right? We're like realize our faith at that point. So again, depends on which side of the boat you're on, I guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm with you. Wow, that's interesting. Um, hmm. And then uh, the last thing in that digging deeper part would just be like Paul, again, because he understood his life as being a slave, as a tool, literally like a tool or, you know, in the hand of God, whether he was being beaten, whether he was living it up right. The one thing that he said was, because I've been in prison, the whole prison guard has been able to hear the gospel. And so I rejoice. Right. Right. Uh, and I think that's important. Um, I, I bring up Isaiah 55 uh, in the second to last paragraph. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return until they have watered the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And, and I think that's our life, like, right? Yes. Whatever we're sent. Yep, wherever you know, and that's that's so hard for some people to understand being sent because we're we're such homebodies. People are such homebodies, um, you know. But God calls us to not just some people, our, our missionaries, obviously, that go to other countries and other people, that sort of thing. But you also have God's calling you to your community to reach certain people, to reach different people groups. Um, they're in your community. And, and even that sometimes is difficult for us as followers to hear God speaking and then to act upon it, to actually go to those people groups, because a lot of times it makes us uncomfortable. Uncomfortable might cost us some money. Yeah. It might cost us, you know, like, like for me and my wife, we've opened up our doors to wayward, you know, souls. Right. And, and create conflict. Yeah, I mean, sure. I mean, because you're using the resources God had given you for God's purpose. Right. It sounds easy and beautiful, but you're like, wait, this is mine. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to use it for that. 
<laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. Because that has to be hard to just open your doors up and help. You know, I think about all the children that my children have brought home, <laughs> you know, over the years and, and the things that I poured into them and helped them with and conversations that we had, understanding the horrible backgrounds that some of these kids come from and just some of them you think, man, you don't have a chance in the world. I mean, you just, you just don't have a chance in the world to make it. And here's Jesus. Let me, let me talk to you about Jesus because he is your chance. Yeah, I mean, in your home, again, think about it. I mean, like, so you're giving your home so it can be a place of ministry. It's not your home. Right. It's temporary. It's a temporary borrow. You know, that that's something that that I think my husband and I have had conversations over the years with because we've moved so much is that our home is where we are together. But the home, the building that we live in is just a temporary gift from God. You know, that 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 can change as God needs us to change and as God needs us to go somewhere else. And then that, that temporary shelter that we have that gift from God changes over the years and it has, uh, for various reasons. So, yeah, it, this whole conversation reminded me of a song that we used to sing. Uh, I came up church Christ and it was one of those beautiful songs that we sang at church camp. I don't know if anybody's ever heard it. It's called pierce my ear. Um, and the lyrics of the song are pierce my ear, O Lord, my God, take me to thy door this day. Um, I shall serve no other God. And I lost the last part of it. But basically the history behind the song is when you were a slave and you received your freedom, um, you could choose to remain a bond servant for life yeah. to get the master. And the way that they would mark you as their bond servant for life is they would take you to a doorpost and they would pierce your ear with a, like a nail basically into the doorpost and it would make a hole in your ear. And that's, that was the, the blood covenant. Cause you know, I mean, when you do pierce your ears, it does bleed a little bit. Um, that would, that would mark you as the bond servant for life to this particular master. And I always think, gosh, oh, but at the same time, how beautiful that you love your master so much that when you would give your life what and abilities and skills that you have to the master. And, and I think of that in my relationship with Christ is that I love Jesus so much that I, I'm willing to become... Perfect, yes this bond servant for his purposes yeah, and what not a violation of your will you're no yeah. it's it's a love relationship absolutely very good again that's yeah. another reason as to why i think christians find a certain you know it's easy for us to understand marriage and faith you're willingly committing yourself to become one and to give mm-hmm. up yours for someone else's that kind of thing sure absolutely <laughs> Well, so let's jump over to learning from the scripture because you have brought up a really good part of the confession of faith that I really like in the, in the second paragraph here. Yeah, me and you were both were psychologically damaged and helped by the Church of Christ Church in our own little ways. <laughs> I say that jokingly. <laughs> um, so I remember, you know, 
I didn't grow up Cumberland Presbyterian, but I came in a Christian when I was 18 at a Cumberland Presbyterian church and I dug into the theology, right? And so then when I go off to the Bible college, which is Church of Christ, independent Christian church, fight background, they believed you could fall away from grace, right? Mm-hmm. And then when you're surrounded by it, like I didn't go into the Bible college thinking that I'd be like that, but you know, after you hear it so many times, um, in their practice, so they can show you Bible verses that say, yeah, you know, you can fall from grace and all that jazz, but I remember the Philippians chapter six or verse six in this passage where I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work and you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. And I remember going home one time, you know, just not feeling necessarily threatened, but I did on occasion. I think every Christian probably has their moments of like, was this real? This conversion thing for me? Was it? Yeah, um, sure, sure. But I talked to my pastor and of course he brings out the confession of faith 425. It says the preservation of believers depends upon the nature of the covenant of grace the unchangeable love and power of God, the merits, advocacy, and intercession of Jesus Christ, and the presence and ministry of the Holy Spirit who renews God's image in believers. And then, of course, he he went through other scriptures or whatnot, but but then, I, you know, pretty firm. I remember going out of his office one Saturday afternoon. Uh, I'm like, yeah, no, they're wrong, and this is right, because, you know, because if I'm a slave, um, I'm a slave I've been purchased. I've been, you know, right. Like I'm somebody else's property in that sense. So the reverse is true. So although there's some, maybe some, maybe some negative things about being a slave, the positive thing is, is I belong to you. (laughs) I'm your problem. (laughs) Right. Uh, Sure. So there's, there's a little bit there. Um, And so, yeah, I was convinced at that point that, yeah, I mean, you know, being a slave, it goes two ways and and we're a slave of love. and that that cuts both ways. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, did you ever struggle with that in your? Uh, oh my gosh! Um, yes, you know because it was it was that constant. Am I good enough? Always, always, always. You know, am I doing enough? Am I am I praying enough? Am I working hard enough? Um, it was always that questioning of Am I enough? And it was a beautiful thing when I came to the Cumberland Presbyterian Church because that's when I realized I am enough. I am enough because I am doing what I can and and trying to grow and nurture my my spiritual life and and grow deeper constantly with God. Um, and and that's what God asks is that we constantly build this relationship and constantly work together for the betterment of of the world around me. So. On those days when I question, am I enough? God reminds me, yeah, yeah, you're doing well, what I need you to do. I'm a realist. So when I say that, here's where I came to. Like when God, you know, when I when I try to ask myself the question, am I enough? No, I'm absolutely not. But that's not the gospel. That's, <laughs> the gospel that's is God. that Jesus is enough. Yes. And that Jesus, you know, so that I've always, that's, that's the realist. That's a better way to look at it. Yeah, I mean, but you know, that's what I, it's kind of like, you know, parenting. Did I do what I was supposed to? No, of course you did, because mm. you're not perfect. But yeah. you did the best you could, and that's the best you do, right? Yes. Yeah. But the theology of it is, is that no, we're not enough. That's that original sin or that break from God. No, no, you're not enough. So go ahead and take that. Don't worry about it. You're not. <laughs> right. Right. But God is, and that's the power of the gospel. And I think that's important. Yeah. And that's a beautiful way of looking at it, because I know as a parent too, I I agree. I've asked myself, you know, did I do? No. But as I've talked to my kids, as we've worked through some stuff that, that maybe they were frustrated with and have, 
have a hard time dealing with as they were growing up. I'm like, look, did I do this perfectly? No. Should I have reacted differently or should I have done something? Absolutely. But I did the best that I could with the knowledge I had at the time. Now, with the knowledge that I have now, would I do something different? Yes. But at the time that I did it, I I was doing the best that I can. And and as parents, as young parents, you're going to do the same thing. You're going to make decisions that, you know, five, 10 years later, you're going to look back. Oh, that was awful. Why did I do that? But glory to God. So the gospel is that Jesus Christ loves you anyway. Yes. Praise God. (laughs) Praise Um, God that he does. So the, um, the, the next thing about that learning from the scriptures, I, I, I fell in love with this um, epistle probably more the older I got. Of course, I remember, I told you, you know, I remember in college that I'm confident of this, that God who began a good work in you mm-hmm. will see it through to completion. That was important to me as I was growing up. Um, <clears throat> when I resigned, I guess, from the Margaret Hank Church uh, and taking this job, I had 12 years of just incredible ministry. I mean, like, not just incredible. I mean, we didn't like set the world on fire numbers wise, but I got to experience what a real church was. And I remember my last sermon, you know, I use this. I thank my God every time I remember you constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. Like I could honestly say that was my experience at my, at my job or at my church. And, um, and I remembered I saw people go from just sitting on the sidelines to like trying to jump in and that mm-hmm. I saw them grow and, and they, they suffered me and they allowed me to grow and pulled me up and I pulled them up and that's the way it's supposed to work. And, and that's a, yeah. I think another key th- <clears throat> bit of theology with the flipping letter is that we're all part of this ministry. Yes. And we're all, and we're all working together. You know, I think, Sometimes when we get into positions in churches, we think, well, this was my idea and this was, you know, I want all the credit for it. And I understand that there's some humanness in it, but at the same time, that's not about us. It's about God. Yeah. And, and how can we glorify God better in our life, working together as, as one, as one body and one mind. Mm. And then the last thing in that that's section beautiful. was like, you know, Paul was in prison. He had been beaten. You still have joy. That leads me to think that even like now, turbulent times that we are, we can't, you know, identities, sexualities, politics, ideologies, tribes. If you get on Facebook you or any kind of news, you could feel so terrible by the time it's over. But then you stop and think, whoa, 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 this ain't, this ain't my ballgame. I'm an observer of all this. I belong to Christ and I can, I can be thankful that I'm not part of this. I we are to the extent that we do suffer when the world suffers, but that's not the end of our story. Our story is different. Like we're in another book, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so I think that's important to realize. Mm-hmm. Beautiful thing to realize. So, Your discussion question at the end of this says, an old saying you might've heard is there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. Do you believe that? goes back to what we were talking about but i think that's yeah yeah, i mean like i mean in a master-slave relationship we don't dictate anything like right i mean the master does we follow yeah Yeah, we just do what we're told and so the master has the power and if the master chooses you he doesn't have to have a good reason for it (laughs) sure they get to choose you (laughs) right 
Right. You know. Absolutely. So I think that's that's kind of important. Your next question you have on there was knowing that God has saved you in Christ and knowing that you are saved to the end. Does that bring you joy? And do you believe it? Again, that's the only, yeah, what about you? I'll let you go. On. It should. It should. I, I think that knowing that I am saved in Christ should bring us joy. Um, and, and I agree right now. Does it? Yes. Yes. Because where I connect most with God, and of course, Chris, you know that I enjoy having bird feeders out in front of my house. And I love sitting out there in the morning with a nice cup of coffee and just watching all these little colorful creatures flit in and out on the bird feeders. And it, that brings me immense joy. And often when I'm sitting out there and praying, I just, I recognize, I, you know, I pull up the scriptures, how God's taking care of the birds of the air and the flowers in the fields and how much more is he going to take care of me? And I think, and I think to myself, man, why should I be worried today? When these little beautiful things that fly in and out to my bird feeders, that they're being cared for because God cares for them. And how much more does God care for me in this position? So does it, does it bring me joy? Yes. It brings me a deep, there's a deep knowing joy that no matter the circumstances that I face, no matter what social media is telling me or what Facebook or the news outlets are saying, that I can rest in the fact that I have joy in my king. I think I would echo that. I would say that like the joy that I have, like right now I'm on vacation with my wife, just walking on the beach with my wife and something. What gives me joy is that that's just a foretaste of glory divine. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that it does is it makes me less stressed now. Because if I didn't have that, then I could get sucked up in the Facebook news cycles and political cycles. Yeah. And I and I often do. And then I have to remind myself, I'm like, hey, I'm not a citizen here. I started singing, I'm a poor wayfaring stranger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This world is not my home. <laughs> it is not. And then uh, you end you yeah. end our section, you end our lesson today with, with another poet. Another poet, Bob yeah. Dylan. <laughs> yeah. I so, love this. Well, so Bob Dylan. All right. So like if y'all just want like maybe I, I've been wanting to write a Bible study on this. I'm sure somebody's done it or a group study. Bob Dylan went through like a two and a half year evangelistic phase. Like, and he, on tour, he would only sing the songs that he wrote that were gospel songs. Um, and nobody liked it. So he had to switch back. Oh, wow. But if, like there's two years span, Saved, I think is the name of one album. Slow Train Coming is another album. There's two and a half years where he just recorded just some phenomenally good songs. Like Bob Dylan, you know, he can't sing well. I mean, people like him, but usually for his musical talent or his writing talent. Um, but he has a lot of songs that were great. Pressing on is one. Um, and it uses his Philippians, some words of Philippians. But anyway, one of them that did actually do pretty well was you got to serve somebody. Right. And, um, and I think Bob, old Bobby had it right. Uh, you know, and the chorus of the song is you got to serve somebody. It might be the devil. It might be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. And then the verses of it is you might be a doctor, you might be a lawyer, you might be this or that, but you got to serve somebody like you are not your Mm -hmm. own. And I Mm -hmm. think that's where we can instruct people. Sometimes when people say they're not, they don't want to follow like religion, organized religion or something, because it's 
you're you're being led by something. Like you don't have your autonomy to say that I'm going to mark my own path. That's bull honky. You're being led by something. And I think that's why I bring up Bob Dylan. You can be led by whatever principle you choose, but you can't choose yeah. not to be led because culture is going right. to lead you. Politics is going to lead you. Something's going to lead you. Yeah. And I think what Paul's trying to say in Philippians, we're slaves of something. Be slaves of the good and not the bad. Right. I think is. Right. Um, I think that's where we're trying to find that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you can't serve two masters, right? No, right. You, you can't. You can't serve both God and mammon. Yeah, so, and you can't serve no masters. Like, that's a lie right. if you think that. Yes, because you're going to be either led by and enslaved to your ambition, greed, lust, sloth, gluttony. I mean, you can go through all seven deadly sins and they're, um, you're going to be led by something. I think and so. what is it that you choose to be? I think that's the thing that we have to understand. And it goes back to what you said in the beginning. It's, it's our choice. It's our choice what we're going to be led by or what we're going to be enslaved to. Like kind of you're going to be a slave to something. What is it that you choose to be a slave to? And it and it goes back to our thoughts about marriage. You know, is this a a horrible marriage? Yeah. Uh, or do we choose to be in in a a fulfilling relationship, a fulfilling love? You know, same with same with Jesus. We have that choice. We don't have to follow Christ. We have the, the decision to do that. So do you choose to be enslaved to the good? Yeah. So the yeah. discussion question, I think we can probably wrap it up here. Ask your class to share ways in which they have become servants or slaves of Christ. How is it that one becomes free by becoming a slave of God? And again, I'll go back to marriage. I, I've gotten to do enough like marriage counseling where I'll hear people talk. And this person will say something that's so obviously self-serving, but in their mind, they think it's like the right thing. And then this person over here would respond in a way that's obviously just trying to be hurtful and not helpful. And then so they talk and I'm like, hmm, wonder why this isn't working out. <laughs> can't yeah. seem, it can't seem. And so like if somebody was being a slave to one another, mm -hmm. those, those thoughts could never find a place to live. Like, sure. Um, so like marriage is going to be hard if you're constantly looking out for yourself. Yes. Marriage is going to be pretty easy if y'all are looking out for one another or dying yes. to one another and becoming one, right? And, and I think this, mm -hmm. the, it's the same way in faith. It might look different because God, part of being a servant is you give up your own desires to do the bidding of God, of Christ. Yes. And that could, like we said, I don't want to belabor the point, I don't guess, but it means your money, time, willingness, plans. Talents. Yeah. Everything. 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 And, and the and the thing that I've learned as I become more of a slave to Christ is that even though it doesn't look like I want to do that all the time, you don't. When, when I submit to that, the blessings that I watch other people receive and the blessings that I receive are so much more than I could ever possibly comprehend. Yeah. And, and so it just, it makes me want to say yes again and again, every time God asks me to do something different and I struggle with it at the same time, I know that the end result is going to be so much more than I can possibly imagine that it compels me to say, yeah, okay. That's what you want me to do. That's where I'll go. Yeah. And, and we'll get better at that as, as we go on, because sure. it still feels like drudgery, 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 because we're that's not, 
not completely there yet. We're not mature in our faith. It's like one of the cool things is my, some of my kids couldn't keep their room clean at all. Never. And we'd fight. But then I stopped fighting. I'm like, you know, that's their room. Yeah, they yeah. want to invite their friends over and be embarrassed. That's all them. Whatever. Yeah. But then I go over to their house and their house is pristine. They, they have a certain image that they, and so, it, but they grew, you know, I mean, it was just, they sure. became in a different situation and now they're in it. And, and cleanliness was with them the entire time. Just didn't want to do it. It's <laughs> a great example. I love it. <laughs> Anyhow. Oh, good example. That's good place to end good place to end us today on on understanding how God is with us, just whether or not we choose to participate with him. All right. Send us out, baby. All right. Well, brothers and sisters, thank you again for joining us. And if you haven't, again, please like and subscribe to this channel. Share it with your friends. You know, uh, we're coming up on a new quarter here shortly. And make sure that if somebody's looking for a new study, please share us with them. We would love to invite them into our family of study. So let's be blessed, brothers and sisters. Thank you for joining us. May God bless you and keep you wherever you are. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.